Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 43, Part 2 In troop the whole family, and everyone was hugged and kissed all over again, and after several vain attempts, the three wanderers were set down to be looked at and exulted over. Mr. Lawrence, hale and hearty as ever, was quite as much improved as the others by his foreign tour, for the crustiness seemed to be nearly gone, and the old-fashioned courtliness had received a polish which made it kindlier than ever. It was good to see him beam at my children, as he called the young pair. It was better still to see Amy pay him the daughterly duty and affection which completely won his old heart, and best of all, to watch Laurie revolve about the two as if never tired of enjoying the pretty picture they made. The minute she put her eyes upon Amy, Meg became conscious that her own dress had an Parisian air, that young Mrs. Moffat would be entirely eclipsed by young Mrs. Lawrence and that her ladyship was altogether a most elegant and graceful woman. Joe thought, as she watched the pair, how well they look together. I was right, and Laurie has found the beautiful, accomplished girl who will become his home, better than clumsy old Joe, and be a pride, not a torment to him. Mrs. March and her husband smiled and nodded at each other with happy faces, for they saw that their youngest had done well, not only in worldly things, but the better wealth of love, confidence, and happiness. For Amy's face was full of the soft brightness which betokens a peaceful heart. Her voice had a new tenderness in it, and the cool, prim carriage was changed to a gentle dignity, both womanly and winning. No little affectations marred it, and the cordial sweetness of her manner was more charming than the new beauty or the old grace, for it stamped her at once with the unmistakable sign of the true gentlewoman she had hoped to become. "'Love has done much for our little girl,' said her mother softly. "'She has had a good example before her all her life, my dear,' Mr. March whispered back, with a loving look at the worn face and grey head beside him. Daisy found it impossible to keep her eyes off her pretty auntie, but attached herself like a lapdog to the wonderful chatelaine full of delightful charms. Demi paused to consider the new relationship before he compromised himself by the rash acceptance of a bribe, which took the tempting form of a family of wooden bears from Burn. A flank movement produced an unconditional surrender, however, for Laurie knew where to have him. "'Young man, when I first had the honor of making your acquaintance, "'you hit me in the face. "'Now I demand the satisfaction of a gentleman.' "'And with that, the tall uncle proceeded to toss and tousle the small nephew "'in a way that damaged his philosophical dignity "'as much as it delighted his boyish soul. 
blessed if she ain't in silk from head to foot. Ain't it a relishing sight to see her setting there as fine as a fiddle, and hear folks calling little Amy Miss Lawrence, muttered old Hannah, who could not resist frequent peaks through the slide as she set the table in a most decidedly promiscuous manner. Mercy on us, how they did talk. First one, then the other, then all burst out together, trying to tell the history of three years and half an hour. It was fortunate that tea was at hand to produce a lull and provide refreshment, for they would have been hoarse and faint if they had gone on much longer. Such a happy procession as filed away into the little dining room. Mr. March proudly escorted Mrs. Lawrence. Mrs. March as proudly leaned on the arm of my son. The old gentleman took Joe with a whispered, "'You must be my girl now,' and a glance at the empty corner by the fire that made Joe whisper back, "'I'll try to fill her place, sir.' The twins pranced behind, feeling that the millennium was at hand, for everyone was so busy with the newcomers that they were left to revel at their own sweet will, and you may be sure they made the most of the opportunity. Didn't they steal sips of tea, stuff gingerbread, ad litem, get a hot biscuit apiece, and as a crowning trespass, didn't they each whisk a captivating little tart into their tiny pockets, there to stick and crumble treacherously, teaching them that both human nature and a pastry are frail? Burdened with the guilty consciousness of the sequestered tarts, and fearing that Dodo's sharp eyes would pierce the thin disguise of cambric and merino which hid their booty, the little sinners attached themselves to Grandpa, who had his spectacles on. Amy, who was handed about like refreshments, returned to the parlor on Father Lawrence's arm. The others paired off as before, and this arrangement left Joe companionless. She did not mind it at the minute, for she lingered to answer Hannah's eager inquiry. "'Will Miss Amy ride in her coop "'and use all them lovely silver dishes "'that stored away over yonder?' "'Shouldn't wonder if she drove six white horses, "'ate off gold plate, "'and wore diamonds and point lace every day. "'Teddy thinks nothing's too good for her,' "'returned Joe, with infinite satisfaction. "'No more there is. "'Will you have hash or fish balls for breakfast?' "'asked Hannah, who wisely wingled poetry and prose. "'I don't care.' and Joe shut the door, feeling that food was an uncongenial topic just then. She stood a minute looking at the party vanishing above, and as Demi's short plaid legs toiled up the last stair, a sudden sense of loneliness came over her so strongly that she looked about her with dim eyes as if to find something to lean upon, for even Teddy had deserted her. If she had known what birthday gift was coming every minute, nearer and nearer, she would not have said to herself, I'll weep a little weep when I go to bed. It won't do to be dismal now. Then she drew her hand over her eyes, for one of her boyish habits was never to know where her handkerchief was, and had just managed to call up a smile when there came a knock at the porch door. She opened with hospitable haste, and started as if another ghost had come to surprise her. For there stood a tall bearded gentleman, beaming on her from the darkness like a midnight sun. "'Oh, Mr. Bower, I am so glad to see you,' cried Joe with a clutch, 
as if she feared the night would swallow him up before she could get him in. And I to see Miss March. But no, you have a party. And the professor paused as the sound of voices and the tap of dancing feet came down to them. No, we haven't, only the family. My sister and friends have just come home and we are all very happy. Come in and make one of us. Though a very social man, I think Mr. Bower would have gone decorously away and come again another day. But how could he, when Joe shut the door behind him and bereft him of his hat? Perhaps her face had something to do with it, for she forgot to hide her joy at seeing him and showed it with a frankness that proved irresistible to the solitary man whose welcome far exceeded his boldest hopes. If I shall not be Monsieur de Trope, I will so gladly see them all. You have been ill, my friend. He put the question abruptly, for as Joe hung up his coat, the light fell on her face, and he saw a change in it. Not ill, but tired and sorrowful. We have had trouble since I saw you last. Ah, yes, I know. My heart was sore for you when I heard that and he shook hands again with such a sympathetic face that Joe felt as if no comfort could equal the look of the kind eyes, the grasp of the big warm hand. "'Father, mother, this is my friend, Professor Bower,' she said, with a face and tone of such irrepressible pride and pleasure that she might as well have blown a trumpet and opened the door with a flourish. If the stranger had any doubts about his reception— they were set at rest in a minute by the cordial welcome he received. Everyone greeted him kindly for Joe's sake at first, but very soon they liked him for his own. They could not help it, for he carried the talisman that opens all hearts, and these simple people warmed to him at once, feeling even the more friendly because he was poor. For poverty enriches those who live about it, and is a sure passport to truly hospitable spirits. Mr. Bower sat looking about him with the air of a traveller who knocks at a strange door, and when it opens, finds himself at home. The children went to him like bees to a honeypot, and establishing themselves on each knee, proceeded to captivate him by rifling his pockets, pulling his beard, and investigating his watch with juvenile audacity. The women telegraphed their approval to one another, and Mr. March, feeling that he had got a kindred spirit, opened his choicest stores for his guest's benefit, while silent John listened and enjoyed the talk, but said not a word, and Mr. Lawrence found it impossible to go to sleep. If Joe had not been otherwise engaged, Laurie's behavior would have amused her, for a faint twinge, not of jealousy, but something like suspicion, caused that gentleman to stand aloof at first, and observe the newcomer with brotherly circumspection, but it did not last long. He got interested in spite of himself, and before he knew it, was drawn into the circle. For Mr. Bower talked well in this genial atmosphere, and did himself justice. He seldom spoke to Laurie, but he looked at him often, and a shadow would pass across his face, as if regretting his own lost youth, as he watched the young man in his prime. Then his eyes would turn to Joe so wistfully, that she would have surely answered the mute inquiry, if she had seen it. But Joe, 
had her own eyes to take care of, and feeling that they could not be trusted, she prudently kept them on the little sock she was knitting, like a model maiden aunt. A stealthy glance now and then refreshed her, like sips of fresh water, after a dusty walk, for the sidelong peeps showed her several propitious omens. Mr. Bower's face had lost the absent-minded expression and looked all alive with interest in the present moment, actually young and handsome, she thought, forgetting to compare him with Laurie, as she usually did strange men, to their great detriment. Then he seemed quite inspired, though the burial customs of the ancients, to which the conversation had strayed, might not be considered an exhilarating topic. Joe quite glowed with triumph when Teddy got quenched in an argument, and thought to herself as she watched her father's absorbed face, how he would enjoy having such a man as my professor to talk with every day. Lastly, Mr. Bower was dressed in a new suit of black, which made him look more like a gentleman than ever. His bushy hair had been cut and smoothly brushed, but didn't stay in order long. For in exciting moments, he rumpled it up in the droll way he used to do, and Joe liked it rampantly erect, better than flat, because she thought it gave his fine forehead a Jove-like aspect. Poor Joe, how she did glorify that plain man, as she sat knitting away so quietly, yet letting nothing escape her, not even the fact that Mr. Bower actually had gold sleeve buttons in his immaculate wristbands. "'Dear old fellow, he couldn't have got himself up with more care "'if he'd been a-going a-wooing,' said Joe to herself. "'And then a sudden thought, born of the words, made her blush "'so dreadfully that she had to drop her ball "'and go down after it to hide her face. "'The maneuver did not succeed as well as she expected, however. "'For though, just in the act of setting fire to a funeral pyre, "'the professor dropped his torch, metaphorically speaking, "'and made a dive after the little blue ball.' Of course, they bumped their heads smartly together, saw stars, and both came up flushed and laughing, without the ball, to resume their seats, wishing they had not left them. Nobody knew where the evening went to, for Hannah skillfully abstracted the babies at an early hour, nodding like two rosy poppies, and Mr. Lawrence went home to rest. The others sat round the fire, talking away, utterly regardless of the lapse of time, till Meg whose maternal mind was impressed with the firm conviction that Daisy had tumbled out of bed and Demi set his nightgown afire, studying the structure of matches, made a move to go. "'We must have our sing in the good old way, for we are all together again once more,' said Joe, feeling that a good shout would be a safe and pleasant vent for the jubilant emotions of her soul. They were not all there, but no one found the words thoughtless or untrue, for Beth still seemed among them, a peaceful presence, invisible, but dearer than ever, since death could not break the household league that love made dissoluble. The little chair stood in its old place, the tidy basket with the bit of work she left unfinished when the needle grew so heavy was still on its accustomed shelf. The beloved instrument, seldom touched now, had not been moved, and above it Beth's face serene and smiling, as in the early days, looked down upon them, seeming to say, "'Be happy, I am here.' "'Play something, Amy. Let them hear how much you have improved,' said Laurie, 
with pardonable pride in his promising pupil. But Amy whispered with full eyes as she twirled the faded stool, Not tonight, dear. I can't show off tonight. But she did show something better than brilliancy or skill, for she sang best songs with a tender music in her voice, which the best master could not have taught, and touched the listeners' hearts with a sweeter power than any other inspiration could have given her. The room was very still, when the clear voice failed suddenly at the last line of Bess' favorite hymn. It was hard to say. Earth hath no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. And Amy leaned against her husband, who stood behind her, feeling that her welcome home was not quite perfect without Beth's kiss. Now, we must finish with Minion Song, for Mr. Bower sings that, said Joe, before the pause grew painful. And Mr. Bower cleared his throat with a gratified, hmm, as he stepped into the corner where Joe stood saying, You will sing with me? We go excellently well together. A pleasing fiction, by the way, for Joe had no more idea of music than a grasshopper. But she would have consented if he had proposed to sing a whole opera and warbled away, blissfully regardless of time and tune. It didn't much matter, for Mr. Bower sang like a true German, heartily and well, and Joe soon subsided into a subdued hum that she might listen to the mellow voice that seemed to sing for her alone. "'Knowest thou the land where the citron blooms?' used to be the professor's favorite line, for this land meant Germany to him. But now he seemed to dwell with peculiar warmth and melody upon the words, There, O oh there, might I with thee, O oh my beloved, go. And one listener was so thrilled by the tender invitation that she longed to say she did not know the land and would joyfully depart thither whenever he liked. The song was considered a great success, and the singer retired covered with laurels. But a few minutes afterward, he forgot his manners entirely, and stared at Amy putting on her bonnet, for she had been introduced simply as my sister, and no one had called her by her new name since he came. He forgot himself still further when Laurie said, in his most gracious manner, at parting, "'My wife and I are very glad to meet you, sir.' Please remember that there is always a welcome waiting for you over the way. Then the professor thanked him so heartily and looked so suddenly illuminated with satisfaction that Laurie thought him the most delightfully demonstrative old fellow he ever met. I too shall go, but I shall gladly come again, if you will give me leave, dear madam, for a little business in the city will keep me here some days. He spoke to Mrs. March, but he looked at Joe, and the mother's voice gave as cordial an assent as did the daughter's eyes, for Mrs. March was not so blind to her children's interest as Mrs. Moffat supposed. "'I suspect that is a wise man,' remarked Mr. March, with placid satisfaction, from the hearthrug after the last guest had gone. "'I know he is a good one,' added Mrs. March, with decided approval, as she wound up the clock." "'I thought you'd like him,' was all Joe said as she slipped away to her bed. "'She wondered what the business was that brought Mr. Bower to the city, "'and finally decided that he had been appointed to some great honor somewhere, "'but had been too modest to mention the fact. 
if she had seen his face when, safe in his own room, he looked at the picture of a severe and rigid young lady, with a good deal of hair, who appeared to be gazing darkly into futurity, it might have thrown some light upon the subject, especially when he turned off the gas and kissed the picture in the dark. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.